0: Well, regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad to be with you today. Well, it's going to be a busy week in terms of the Second Amendment. We have the first presidential debate coming up Tuesday night in Cleveland, Ohio. Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump squaring off. Now, uh, we know, generally speaking, the terms of the uh, debate, what those uh, broad subjects are going to be. Chris Wallace, the uh, moderator from Fox News. I had uh, originally anticipated that uh, Wallace was going to ask a question about gun control, uh, given Chris Wallace's support for things like a uh, ban on so-called assault weapons. But uh, that's not going to be one of the specific topics, although I still think it could come up, by the way, uh, uh, among the topics that will be addressed the Supreme Court. Obviously, the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett uh going to be uh, front and center. Gun control groups are already lashing out. I mean, not that they were... You know going to be happy with anybody that Donald Trump picked, but uh, they're very upset with what they call uh, Amy Coney Barrett's extreme position on the right to keep and bear arms, yeah, meaning that she actually recognizes it's a fundamental individual right that's protected by the Constitution, not granted or established by the Constitution by the way, but protected by the Constitution. Violence in our city is also expected to be one of the topics that'll be addressed. Uh, both which I think will uh, provide Donald Trump an opportunity to uh, hammer Joe Biden for his gun control views at a time in which uh, more Americans than ever before are buying firearms for self-defense. Joe Biden believes that the Second Amendment is limited, said last year that uh, he would not have ruled the uh, same way that the Supreme Court did in Heller versus uh, D.C., which uh, established once and for all that, yes, this is an individual right protected by the Constitution, uh, in Joe Biden's views, the Second Amendment only came about because uh, the Founding Fathers wanted Americans to be able to fight the British. Yeah, that's that's what he said during a town hall back in 2019. Uh, and Donald Trump can draw a uh, stark contrast between uh, Joe Biden's views, which uh, you know amount to trying to ban our way to safety, trying to criminalize the exercise of the right to keep and bear arms with uh, his own. Stance in his own record when it comes to our right to keep and bear arms. So we're going to be talking more about the uh, vice president, or excuse me, the presidential debates uh, coming up here. Uh, certainly on Wednesday, we'll uh, be going through what happened and give you the uh, the full uh, after action report on Wednesday's Cam and Company. But also uh, know that the confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett are going to take place here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, August, excuse me, October the twelfth. I believe that's when uh, Lindsey Graham says he wants to uh, start those hearings, wants to uh, be able to turn everything over to Mitch McConnell for a vote by October 22nd. Again, gun control group's going to be among those uh, doing everything they can to put up every roadblock, hurdle, impediment uh, to the confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, uh, who, by the way, right now, sitting appellate court judge, is on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. We've written extensively about uh, Judge Barrett's record on the Second Amendment. You can find more at buryingarms.com. But today we're going to talk about what's going on In a lot of American cities, but we're going to focus on one city in particular, actually two, the twin cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, Uh, because there, too, you know, we're seeing sort of a microcosm of what is happening across the country, um, really all over the place and what's been going on for the last several months. So a, a, a tale of several headlines here. We'll start with this one. We have to do something. North Minneapolis Bishop hosts gun buyback amid rising homicides. There were 48 homicides in Minneapolis last year. Uh, as of this past weekend, there have already been 59 homicides. And uh, one religious leader there in Minneapolis says, well, we gotta, we got to do something. And what he has decided to do is to try to hold a compensated confiscation effort. Bishop how- Richard Howell Jr. Uh, and his church at Shiloh Temple. He says, I can't tell you how many funerals we've had to host right here on the north side at the church. Many of them, he says, young people, he says, I I feel like we can't, uh, we have to do something that can at least curb the violence for a night or two or three or four, then it's worth it. If we don't do anything, then we're all guilty. And so this week, the bishop says that uh, he's going to hold a, uh, quote unquote, gun buyback. He says, uh, no questions asked. He said, no one's going to get arrested. No one's going to get charged for anything. All we want is give us your guns that's one less gun we have to worry about in this community and one less life we have to be concerned about that may be taken away. I feel for the bishop. I do. But I think this is, not, not, not only do I think this is ineffective, but I think if you're wanting to do something that works as opposed to just doing something, this is absolutely the wrong thing to do. First of all, we know that gun buybacks don't work to reduce crime. There's no evidence whatsoever that these uh, turn in events, where you take your gun and you hand it over and you get a gift card or, you know, 100 bucks or 200 bucks in cash, there's no evidence that these programs are effective in reducing violent crime. Zero evidence. No evidence at all. A couple of years ago, gun control groups uh, started uh, uh, trying to uh, portray these uh, events as well, even if they don't actually reduce violence, what they do. Uh, is, you know, they, 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 they somehow kind of reset the tone of the debate around guns. Nah, that's not what's needed here. What's needed here are consequences. And that, I think, is the, uh, the, the really dangerous thing about what Bishop Powell wants to do. Turning these guns, no questions asked. Nobody's going to get arrested. No Nobody's going to uh, get charged for anything. Well, that's part of the problem. Because if people aren't facing consequences for their violent actions, then they're going to do more of the same. So what we need are arrests. What we need are charges. We don't need opportunities for individuals to uh, hand over what amounts to basically garbage guns anyway. Uh, And the idea that these programs would somehow work to reduce violent crime, look, we know that most violent criminals are obtaining their firearms illegally anyway right, either through theft, through friends or family members on the black market. If they uh, turn in, let's say, a stolen gun and they get 200 bucks for it, if they want another gun, what are they going to do? Go out and steal another one, right? This does nothing other than provide a headline or two for the organization hosting the buyback. So I do feel for the bishop. The violence in Minneapolis is real. But the answer is not to hold some sort of compensated confiscation program where you hand over firearms, no questions asked, and you get a gift card or whatever. The answer is to ensure that the community's response to this violence is we're done with this, and we're done with the people who are perpetrating these acts of violence. Listen, we'll help you change your ways, but we don't have a lot of patience here. And if you don't want to take us up on this offer to help you uh, turn your life around, then guess what? We want to see you go away for as long as the law allows because we're tired of the shootings in our cities. We're tired of the shootings on our streets. We're tired of our kids not being able to play outside. And if that attitude takes root, well, then you've got to ask questions. There have to be charges because you need witnesses to come forward and talk to police. If you don't have witnesses who are willing to do that, then police can't make arrests. Prosecutors can't get convictions. Bad guys don't go away. They stay out on the street, committing more and more of these violent crimes. Now, that brings us to our second headline, because not everybody is on board with the idea of uh, turning their guns over in the name of public safety. This is from uh, a couple of weeks ago. Twin Cities sees guns ammunition shortage amid crises. It's from the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune. They say pandemic arrest lead to shortages of both guns and ammunition. Now, look, that headline you could find and you probably uh, if you go back through, you know, uh, uh, searching the newspapers for the last few months, you'll find dozens of similar headlines. What, what's happening in Minneapolis, St. Paul, in terms of the rise in gun sales is nothing new. Well, it's somewhat new to 2020, but it is not an aberration in 2020. Uh, We're seeing this play out, again, in cities across the country, including the Twin Cities. Uh, Aaron Adler of the Star Tribune uh, reported, and again, this was a couple of weeks ago, that uh, the growing interest of guns can be seen in the increase in Minnesota background checks over the last year. According to Mark Oliver with the National Shooting Sports Foundation, there were 21,899 background checks in Minnesota in the month of August of 2019. In August of 2020, 34,829. So that is a 59% increase month over month from 2019 to 2020. The uh, paper quotes Kevin Vick, executive vice president of Stock and Barrel Gun Club, said people have seen firsthand that law enforcement is not always going to be there to protect them. Uh, Dave Ammon, a uh, salesman at Gunstop of Minnetonka, says, uh, I've seen more single moms that are scared and need something to protect them. They're scared when people talk about defunding the police. And that, I think, you may actually be seeing more of an impact uh, in that regard in terms of the Twin Cities because Minneapolis was where you had the city council actually come out and say, we're going to abolish the police department. And we're going to replace it with something else. As riots were causing uh, much of Minneapolis to burn in late May and early June after the death of George Floyd, you had several members of the city council say that was what their policy was going to be. They weren't going to reform the police department. They weren't going to make changes to policy. No, they were going to scrap the department entirely. Yeah. You even had council members berating residents for calling the police on violent criminals. Yeah, Uh, basically uh, accusing them of, uh, let's see, this is Lisa Bender, uh, Minneapolis uh, City Council member. This is uh, June 3rd, 2020. If you are a comfortable white person asking to dismantle the police, I ask you, uh, to reflect. Are you willing to stick with it? Will you be calling in three months to ask about garage break-ins? Are you willing to dismantle white supremacy in all systems, including a new system? Yeah. Well, since June, uh Bender and a lot of these other city council members have changed their tune, uh, interestingly enough. My friend and colleague Ed Morrissey from Hot Air has a piece today uh, talking about the New York Times saying that the Minneapolis City Council's abolished the police mission has collapsed. Uh-huh. Interesting. And the New York Times, it, of course, they're, they're a little upset by this. Writing, over three months ago, a majority of the Minneapolis City Council pledged to defund the city's police department, making a powerful statement that reverberated against the, across the country, shook up Capitol Hill and the presidential race, shocked residents, delighted activists, and changed the trajectory to overhaul the police during a crucial window of tumult and political opportunity. And now, the Times writes, some council members would like a do-over. Councilor Andrew Johnson, one of the nine members who supported the pledge in June, said in an interview that he meant the words in spirit. <laughs> not not by the letter. hmm Another counselor, Philippe Cunningham, said that the language in the pledge was, quote, up for interpretation, and that even among council members soon after the promise was made, quote, it was very clear that most of us had interpreted that language differently. Yeah. Lisa Bender, council member I uh, just quoted, Pause for uh, 16 seconds when asked if the council's statement had led to uncertainty at a pivotal moment for the city, and she said, quote, I think our pledge created confusion in the community and in our words. Yeah. As uh, Ed Morrissey writes, the pledge didn't create confusion. Bender and her police abolition advocates made their mission very clear. What caused the confusion, to the extent that confusion actually exists, was that Bender and the council never came up with a plan to eliminate the Minneapolis Police Department. Bender claimed that they had already laid the groundwork for it back in June, but nearly four months later, the council has yet to put forward even a skeleton of a plan, according to Ed Morrissey, even as they demanded to have a charter amendment placed on the ballot this November to remove the requirement to field a police department. So you've got in Minneapolis a bit of a perfect storm here. You've got rising violent crime. You've got A a city council that is just absolutely insane uh, and politically craven uh, in their immediate reaction and completely unserious, by the way, uh, in their immediate reaction. What the city council members did, I think, is the perfect epitome of this we have to do something mentality among too many lawmakers. Rather than doing something that works, we've got to do something. Let's get the headlines. Oh, the police are the problem in Minneapolis? Well, let's defund the police. Let's abolish the police. Let's replace the police with something else. What? I don't know. It doesn't matter, but we got to do something. Who does that help? Who does that help? Does it help the good people in bad neighborhoods in Minneapolis? Nope. Does it help the law enforcement have a very difficult job to do on a daily basis? Nope. Does it even help the city council members? I doubt it. Because it kind of sounds like A lot of people in Minneapolis think that uh, their elected representative is a complete buffoon right now, and not without reason. So if you are a uh, resident of Minneapolis right now, and you're watching all of this play out, again, you're seeing the rise in violent crime, you're seeing the feckless response by the city council, why wouldn't you say to yourself, you know, I better be able to protect myself? Because I don't know if the city's going to be able to do it. Even again, if, even if you've been an ardent gun control activist in the past. And you've never seen yourself as uh, somebody who would ever own a gun. <laughs> why wouldn't your mind at least be open to change living in Minneapolis over the uh, past few months? And again, uh, there's all, all kinds of evidence that that is in fact the case. That there are people who, you know, a year ago, if you had asked them, hey, uh, do you own a gun? No. But never do such a thing. And now, their mind has been changed. Now you ask them, do you own a gun? I might tell you, none of your business. (laughs) Rather than saying, uh, yes. Yes, I do. So, with what has happened in Minneapolis, being replicated to one degree or another, again, in cities across the, uh, the country. National Shooting Sports Foundation estimates that as of August, we've had 5 million new gun owners from coast to coast. And I imagine by the end of the year, we could be looking at, you know, 7 or 8 million. We've got, we're, we're on pace right now for about 40 million firearms to be sold in the United States this year alone which gets back to the original idea of the, uh, the gun, quote-unquote, buyback. In a nation where the Second Amendment is a right that is exercised by tens of millions, I mean, I, I said closer to 100 million Americans, you can't ban your way to safety. You can't go after the supply of firearms in a nation with 400 million of them. By the end of the year, probably closer to 450 million privately-owned firearms. You cannot ban your way to safety. You can't arrest your way out of this problem if you're only focused on legal gun owners or by trying to criminalize the Second Amendment and turn legal gun owners into criminals. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it, as I talked about, is to ensure that there are consequences for violent actions. To put a focus on the small number of individuals who are actually perpetrating these violent crimes as opposed to trying to uh, regulate, restrict, or infringe on the rights of 100 million Americans who aren't the problem. But in Minneapolis, and sadly in far too many other uh, Democrat-controlled cities, certainly among the uh, Democratic leadership nationwide, their attitude is still very much about banning their way to safety. And by making a crime out of keeping and bearing arms. All right, let's get to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day, our recidivist report as well. We will start there. Case out of Monroe, Louisiana. Here you go. Suspect in custody after a fatal shooting there in Monroe, Louisiana. And uh, yeah, as it turns out, guy well known to law enforcement, Dextavius James, 38 years old, from Shreveport. He's in custody on one count of second-degree murder after a shooting over the weekend. James booked into the Ouachita Correctional Center Sunday afternoon. He's also facing one charge of failure to pay child support. But it's the murder charge that, uh, you know, we'll focus on here. Bail has been set at a million dollars. According to the News Star in Monroe, Louisiana, Dextavius James has a lengthy criminal history, multiple charges for domestic abuse and battery, multiple arrests for robbery, and yet... Still out on the street. Yeah. Able to uh, allegedly commit this uh, shooting on uh, Sunday morning where the uh, victim passed away. Don't have uh, many details about the uh, victim in this case, but um, we do know that uh, based on Mr. James's previous criminal history, should have been behind bars instead of out on the street. Now, our uh, armed citizen story of the day from the uh Pittsburgh Post Gazette Allegheny County Western PA turtle man shot and killed or turtle creek man shot and killed by girlfriend after hours of abuse this is i got to tell you we don't have a lot of details i don't really want to know a lot of details in this this is a a sad story uh but i'm so glad that this woman was able to protect herself uh according to authorities this uh 24 year old man identified uh as a guy named Nigel Broadus uh basically uh, went over to his girlfriend's house about 2 o'clock in the morning Saturday, began assaulting her. For hours, he assaulted her. She says that uh, she was held against her will uh, during that time. During that assault, brought us allegedly threatened to kill her, and then began looking for the legally owned gun that she had in the home. Well, she got to the gun first. And told police, as uh, Broadus was approaching her, she fired multiple times. Then she fled the house, immediately called 911. 911 call came in around 5.14 a.m. on Saturday morning. She told police what had happened. First responders arrived. They found Broadus with uh, multiple gunshot wounds, pronounced him dead at the scene. Uh, You know, the investigation continues. Police say they'll uh, present their evidence over to the DA to see if any charges are warranted. She was not arrested. If her story checks out, I mean, this is pretty clearly a a case of self-defense here. Uh, And another reminder that, uh, as Sam Colt said, uh, you know, a firearm is the great equalizer. Uh, This woman clearly not able to defend herself against her boyfriend's physical assaults until she was able to get a hold of that firearm. And then, and only then, did the attacks stop. We'll uh, keep our eyes on this story. We'll give you any more details as they become available. Uh, Finally today, our good deed of the day from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Family's calling it divine intervention. Also a case of uh, Good Samaritans being in the right place at the right time and saving the life of a drowning toddler. Uh, Faye Boco Cole said she was packing up beach supplies when her three-year-old son, King, was swept away in a riptide. She said the tide came up, it was taller than king, basically washed him into the water. She said the whole time I was looking for him, I didn't know where he was. The current, according to authorities, dragged the uh, three-year-old about a half mile from where his family was. Uh, And Chad Evans, who was out on the beach with his family, said something in the water caught his eye. He said, I just saw a pair of shorts floating sort of from my peripheral vision. He found King near the shore not breathing, scooped up the little boy in his arms, took off running. An off-duty police officer saw what was happening and said, hey, 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 stop, stop, stop. She began life-saving efforts until emergency crews arrived. That's when King's mom actually noticed what was happening. She said, my heart dropped. I said, please don't let it be my baby. And I ran straight to the people and it was him laying there in the sand and I died. feyaboko Cole Feeling a lot better now. King was rushed to the hospital after leaving the beach unconscious. She said she and her family were in the waiting room reciting scripture. And he uh he recovered. He was soon able to start breathing on his own. Brain scans show no signs of brain damage. He was released from the hospital a couple of days ago. He's expected to make a full recovery. And uh both Cole uh, and Chad Evans. Say that God played a big role in credit the rescue to divine intervention. Evans says divine timing is real. It is very real. Well, in the right place, at the right time, we'll be able to do the right thing. Maybe with the help of powers greater than us. Uh, Chad Evans, that off-duty police officer, we thank you both for your very good deeds. That is going to do it. For this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a program. You can also uh, subscribe to Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Spotify or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us there as well. We will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information, but uh, if you just can't wait, there's no reason to wait. Just go to bearingarms.com. Throughout the day, you'll get updated as well. We certainly do appreciate your support. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam & Company.